you want to start us off? Sure. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. This is the Practical Rambling Fathers podcast. I'm Father Tate, joined here by Father Brian. Well, thank you so much for tuning us in. Last time we talked about, um, you know, the the misconceptions of annulment, what it is. And so today we have our guest appearance of Father Glenn Ferrix, who works at the Tribunal uh, in in the Diocese of Winona, Rochester. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So we just, you know, we're trying to think about how, how, you know, Grabbing an inside man, if you want, an inside priest that, that does this day in and day out, and what, like, why would somebody want an annulment um, to be to be done or to go through that process? So what would sure? Yeah, why would somebody want the annulment, or why would uh why would somebody seek an annulment? Sure. Um, well, if we go back, um, there there'll be a uh, many different reasons why somebody would want to approach the diocesan tribunal for an annulment. Um, just to kind of clarify that, the word annulment is often used, and that's fine. Another word that's oftentimes used and is a little bit more precise is declaration of nullity, meaning that uh, the marriage contract or the marriage that the couple um, attempted before, for some reason, uh, it wasn't fulfilled in that sacramental sense, so it wasn't permanent. And so people would approach the diocesan tribunal for an annulment for several different reasons. Many times they approach us because they've perhaps been separated or divorced for some time, and they've moved on with their life, and it could be many years, uh, mm-hmm. but they want to remarry. And so they're looking for that, that ability to be able to enter into another marriage, uh, especially in the Catholic Church, that sacramental marriage. Some people want to do it because they might not be visiting or seeing anybody, but they just kind of want clarity on the status of that relationship uh, Mm -hmm. that they had with the other person. It's for some people a good way of, one might say, bringing conclusion or resolution. Okay. Okay. Um, And then, so that would be, so they're looking to seek another. Um, So, I mean, we're we're mostly talking to Catholics, I guess, on on this podcast, but for for Protestants, what is uh, do Protestants have to go through the annulments, or, or what does it look like when it comes to like a mixed marriage. other religions or mixed marriages or things like that? Sure. So in in society today, obviously, uh, oftentimes Protestants uh, would marry another Protestant person, and maybe there's a divorce, and then one of them wants to marry a Catholic person who's single. And so a marriage between two baptized persons is sacramental. And so we know that the definition of a sacrament, it's a, it's a permanent bond or a partnership between two people. And so that declaration of nullity would say uh, whether a person can be married again or not to be in the sense of whether that first bond there. So uh, a sacrament between two Protestants, it would be a sacrament between two Protestants, uh, two mm-hmm. baptized people. So so that's why they would also go through the nullity process. So you said something there uh, pretty crucial to the to the understanding of the sacraments is both parties have to be baptized and then it automatically is a sacramental marriage. Um, and so... We assume every marriage to be valid until proven not valid, right? 
And so we'd have to be able to prove that that first marriage wasn't a valid annulment. What are we seeking, I guess, in the process of annulment? Like, to get that, I guess, kind of hashed out here, um, what are we seeking in the process of annulment as, as we go through the, the, yeah. In other words, what are, what are we trying to prove or disprove? What are we looking for? Yeah, right, yeah. That is a great question and a very good question. And I would, I would like to just use an analogy here. I'd yeah. like to just kind of define what marriage is for, for the Catholic Church. When we, If you were to set 20 different couples in a room and ask them what marriage is, you would probably get 20 different answers. Yeah. And so the church needs to have a clear and concise definition of what marriage is when they judge whether whether the consent that they expressed to each other was valid or not. And so, uh, to put it simply, or maybe not so simply, uh, we can say that marriage is a um, a partnership between two persons for the whole of life. A man and a woman for the whole, a partnership between a man and woman for the whole of life, which has two different purposes: each other's good or welfare, the good of the spouse, we call it, and the procreation and education of children. Hmm. So this is something of a it's a something of a contract or a partnership that those two people are entering into when they exchange their consent, or the common layman's terms are make the vows to each other. Hmm. So what is an annulment? We presume that the, that the words that they say to, on, to each other on the wedding day is, is valid and everything is there. But when something happens and the marriage breaks down, uh, the couple wants to go back and look to see if this partnership was valid or not. And in order to do that, the church in its wisdom and throughout history has, has developed a system of of looking at it in the sense of a contract. So when we ask ourselves, for example, other contracts in society, we know that there are certain conditions that need to be there before that contract can be valid. For example, if I want to buy a car, I need to be 18. Mm -hmm. I need to have insurance. I need to, there can be nothing prohibiting me from buying that car legally. And there needs to be that exchange of money or goods if somebody else if that was the contract. Well, if somebody were to come back later and say this contract wasn't valid, it would be their responsibility to prove that. I really wasn't 18 when mm-hmm. I said I was or something like this. Right. So what the minority process does is it goes back to look to say, okay, with regards to marriage, we know that certain things need to be there. If you're going to establish a partnership to take care of each other and raise children, people have to be of a certain psychological capacity. You have to understand at a minimum degree what marriage is. You have to go through the right process of getting married in the sense of exchanging consent with words that are meaningful. I'm in the Catholic Church particular witness. You need witnesses and you need someone to receive or also to receive that consent, which is usually a priest or a deacon. So the Catholic Church and the tribunal, what we do is through witnesses and gathering of evidence, we look to see if one of these conditions that would invalidate the marriage was not there, not after the marriage happens, but on the day of the wedding. Mm. 
So let's say, for example, in a, in a partnership to take care of each other, you have to be a sound mind. If someone is suffering from, I'm going to use an, ex, uh, an extreme example of depression mm-hmm. or alcoholism or drug abuse, that person is clearly incapable of fulfilling right. those obligations, therefore they could not validly enter into that partnership. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. that might not become readily apparent until days, weeks, oftentimes years later. And so that's what the tribunal does, is it looks at various what we call grounds mm-hmm. for nullity and tries to demonstrate whether any one of those was there with what we call moral certitude, the preponderance of evidence uh, that it was indeed the case that that condition was there mm-hmm. and that there's no reasonable expectation that it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, there's, yeah, speaking about that, especially like understanding the process of marriage, is, is, that, is that particularly why you know, some couples often say, why do priests make us go through the form one, right? especially with the bride and groom, and, the, and, the, and those certain particular questions? Is it because we, we do it because of protocol, or is it a deeper um, the reason behind that? Excellent question. It really is going deeper. That the form one for that questionnaire that couples go through with the priest is meant to make sure that there's nothing obstructing in that partnership to the best of our ability to know um, before they actually express their consent to each other. And that's why it's so important uh, just to be open and honest when the couple is filling out the Form 1 because if there's something that doesn't seem right and, you know, hurts the peak sense that maybe um, there's, there's an obstruction here, it does not necessarily mean that the couple can't get married. It just means that they need to work through something right. or maybe to do something with the priest before that can happen, and it would be better for them in the long run. Mm-hmm. We've had some discussion about, um, you know, about the Form 1 with Father Glenn here. Beforehand, we had a we had a day, and we talked about a little bit about it, and um, Tay and I both went a semester. I think we went only a semester of canon law with marriage, but doing that Form 1, some of the questions are kind of weird and uh just advice, I guess, for, I know you shared that at one point, but with Tay and I and, and priests in general, when we do the Form 1, like, I guess some of the questions are maybe, you know, an example of one of those questions, and like, what's what's behind the question, you know, what really is it getting at? Um, I don't know, I assume you might have the Form 1 memorized by now. <laughs> <laughs> So you might know the questions more offhand than I know them, um, probably. And so just like one of the questions that that's asked, um, one-on-one, obviously, these questions are asked with the priest um, individually. And so what would be like one of the questions and then like the example of the deeper meaning of, of the question being asked? Sure. Okay. Um one of the questions might be, for example, is divorce an option for you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's one of the questions. It's near the end of the Form 1. And what's being asked under that, or I'm going to offer another question that kind of falls under the same. Um, are you placing any conditions on your marriage consent? Mm. Okay. So these are two questions. And what these are getting at is person's understanding of what marriage is. So, for example, if a person were to say, um, yes, divorce is an option for me, uh, as the pastor filling out that Form 1 with them, 
I wouldn't step back. And well, what I would do is I would step back and say, why is it an option? Because, you know, the very definition of marriage is that it's a permanent, indissoluble partnership or relationship between those two parties for what we call the whole of life. And if a person is already contemplating the prospect of divorce or believe that divorce is an option as they go into it, mm-hmm. then the question behind that question is, what is their understanding of a permanent relationship or partnership that they're under- entering into that is indissoluable? Mm-hmm. That's a big question today. We're living in a very complex society where permit- we like to keep our options open sometimes. Okay. And this is one of those questions that gets mm-hmm. back to that. But the other question mentioned is, um, are you facing any conditions in your marriage consent? Well, to place a condition is to say, if this isn't true, or unless you do this, then I'm going to divorce you or leave you, that the marriage is over. Mm -hmm. And so this can be really tricky with regard to divorce. It's not a conditioned uh, consent, Mm -hmm. uh, but rather it's it's you're accepting the whole person in a partnership for the whole of life. So those questions, if a person answers it in the way that we would least desire, what it does is opens up opportunities for discussion about what marriage is. Right, okay. And that's one of the reasons why it's done one-on-one with the individuals, right, so that you can have those conversations with the bride or with the groom-to-be. Absolutely. It's so important to be truthful and to be honest and authentic in those conversations because it really is for the welfare of the individual and for the couple as a whole. Mm-hmm. You can't build a, you can't build a house on a foundation that is already weak. So we want to give them the best opportunities they can mm-hmm. that we can. Great. <clears throat> yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much because I think that's helpful, especially now um, in our previous podcast, we, we kind of talked about that mentality of uh, the misconception of how annulment is seen in the kind of like the Catholic divorce, right? But how, like, if you really look at it, uh, the church, is, the Catholic Church, is really trying to uh, help educate couples and understand the beauty of marriage, right? And this is kind of like the last result. You know, this not this should not be your primary focus in regards to the question about like is divorce an option for you, right? Learning how, so how does one educate people about that? So what they said. So what would be things, you know, in a in a marriage prep to, like, maybe I should have asked this question earlier, but, like, what would it be to be, um, what is it, the, the, the day and age, right, how to divorce-proof, divorce-proof your marriage or whatever, yeah. um, like, it's five things or the ten things to divorce-proof your marriage, um, I mean... Form one, obviously answering that would be one, but what would be different things that um, maybe on the on the annulment side of working casework, what would be some things that um, would be helpful to know going into a marriage and maybe put into a marriage prep program of like, these are different items that should be brought up and talked about more than just in passing. Um, is there anything in your in your um, experience at the on the back end of marriages that would on the annulment side that would indicate these are different areas that we really should focus on? Tay and I, being young priests and others, young couples that are listening to us, you know, what would be something to really kind of invest in to to really talk about? 
Well, I think that it really does depend from couple to couple. Um, the focus which we do, which is a discussion tool, the answer is a whole series of questions that revolve around several aspects of married life, uh, communication, family of origin, religion, spirituality, sexuality, finances, all of these different things. Those are extremely important things from that interpersonal dimension to discuss. And the couple who is authentic about that um, and, and sincere when they discuss those uh, are, are going to be much better off. And some of those, many of those things are discussed at the pre-cana that they attend as well. Um, I had a conversation once with a friend, and it just really struck me. She said, you know, uh, my husband and I, before we got married, while we were engaged, she said, um, she asked him the question, do you think we're ready for this? Or do you think that we can do this, meaning get married? Yeah. And he said, and, and she was mesmerized almost, and maybe I'm putting words in her mouth by this response, but she said, he said to her, I don't know if we can. I know what I bring to the table. But I can't speak for you. Wow. And what I, drew, I, what I drew from this is it takes two healthy people right. who have a strong moral, religious, and relational commitment to each other. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, they can weather any storm. Wow. And so whether it's the focus, the pre-cana, living a life of chastity and separate from each other before marriage is also an extremely helpful and critical part. Sometimes when we uh, judge cases in the tribunal, I say judge because it's set up kind of like a court, um, you know, you have the ability to, to look at the couple and their relationship before they were married. It's post- Right. You know, it's post-creation. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they'll recall how they were, one might say, covering things up because they thought in their relationship mm -hmm. and even before the priest that they were meeting, um, because they thought that once they were married, the grace of the sacrament would take care of it afterwards. And that is not true. Um, human nature and humanity is humanity, and there's a beautiful grace in the sacrament, but getting yeah. back to having a healthy composition, each each person, yeah. and a strong commitment is so important. Yeah. I know that's true for priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> Magic didn't happen. Didn't happen. Still stuck with myself. It's good. It's a renewed commitment every day, isn't it? Right. It's great. Yeah, it's a good thing. Um. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the, <clears throat> those are typical questions I think a lot of couples, you know, ask me, especially the how does one prepare for marriage, how does one get ready for it? Because I know with the annulment and, and, and the marriage process, they kind of go hand in hand, right? Kind of like you said, you know, how, how dedicated are you to this process and to the sacrament itself? But let's say if one person was really looking at to get annulment for you know for, uh, for one of particular reasons, who can they contact, and what does the process look like? Um, excellent question. I would say to contact, reach out to two different people. Mm -hmm. One is your pastor. Reaching out to the pastor and having that contact with him is extremely important. 
um, because the process, um, we make it as delicate as we can, um, but it's just important to have that support of the pastor and someone to lean on. But then I also recommend that um, they contact the tribunal of the diocese, of the diocese where they're at. For us, it's the Diocese of Winona, Rochester, and the pastor can help them do that. And then in our tribunal, we recommend to them, before they submit any request for an annulment, we call it a petition, that um, they have us appoint to them a professionally trained canon lawyer who can help them through this process. Because since it is set up kind of like a court trial, um, if you're trying someone for robbery when actually it was something else, you're not going to get what you're looking for, the answer you're looking for. So the canon lawyer can help the person by walking them through the process, making sure that they're doing things correctly, and to help to represent themselves so that they're going to be able to present their own interests to the best way possible. Right. Okay. So that and can I just add something else to this? Sure. Yeah. A, lot of times, a lot of times it's easy for us to talk about before the marriage and then when things break down. Yeah. One of the parts that I think our church needs to work on more is that outreach um, of couples when they're struggling. Yeah. And I offer that in two different ways. When we, when we judge marriages, or, you know, Sometimes what we see is one person begins to break down or they begin to separate and the per other person doesn't fully realize it. Mm. Or one person loses interest for one reason or another and they're just unwilling to engage, but they kind of walk. And so that importance of continual communication with each other. Mm. And if things begin to change in the relationship, don't just dismiss it, but rather as a couple, be willing to look into exactly what's happening and even to get to get help. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some wonderful programs out there. There's Engage Marriage Encounter, Retrovi, and uh, different things like that that can that can help couples with that. Mm -hmm. Or talk to the parish priest. A lot of times, what a couple needs is just to hear from another person or another couple. You can do this. We did it. You can do it too. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. well, it makes all the difference in the world. Exactly. Another couple that's celebrating, you know. Oh yeah, we made it through our twenties and thirties. Those were rough years, but we made it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. No, that's really great. Even you know, even as being pastor, like outreach to my young couples or you know middle age couples like you know how do i how do i help them in in saying in continuing that yes to one another each and every day and and how do we host things that that helps them have interactions with other couples and although you know you, you probably hear this too, too other glenn through through your your years of like well what does a priest know about marriage anyways um, you know, that whole take line, more than you want to know. <laughs> we we don't have just one, you know, one marriage to work on. We got, you know, countless marriages, and you especially being being where you're at. Well, and, and a lot of it, too, is human beings are human beings, and it's about commitment mm -hmm. and about stability of life and remaining healthy. Right. <laughs> It's the same in every different walk of life. Right, right. I always love, you know, people like, Father, that was a great homily. That really, I'm like, well, I was just speaking to the home, human experience, so 
If you're human, I hope it works. <laughs> I'm trying to be, so I guess I am too. So, you know, it's always fun. Um, yeah. Uh, is there anything, anything else that we, um, kind of want to cover here? I guess we're at, we're at 24 minutes. Um, so, um, are there any yeah, other? If I can just uh, offer a couple of words, I know that some of your listeners out there will either maybe be divorced mm-hmm. uh, or know somebody about it, yep. you know, that is divorced and want to share something with them. Yeah. So a lot of times people just have concerns, well, how much is it going to cost? In most tribunals or many, this whole process is free. Do I have to include my former spouse in the process because he's angry? He won't help. He won't participate. Mm-hmm. She's angry. She won't help. Yep. Whether they participate or not, they need to be invited, except in very extreme cases. They need to be given the opportunity because they have a vested interest too. But their lack of participation or even uh, um, engagement against a declaration of nullity will likely not impact the final decision as much as a person thinks because the, the tribunal is looking at the whole of the situation. What if an annulment is granted? What does that mean about our marriage? Does that mean we were never married and all of these years was in vain and that we were... A lot of things go through people's minds. And we say, no, you entered into this relationship with a good heart. You were civilly married. As life unfolds and we find out it doesn't go and it wasn't what we thought, and sometimes hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, there is no loss in dignity in it, and there's no loss to your children in, in that as well. And, and then, um, you know, lastly, what if, what if I don't receive a declaration of nullity? What does that mean for me? Right. Or if I do receive one? Right, right, either outcome. If yeah. a person does receive one, both parties will be free to marry. If one is aggrieved by it, meaning they disagree with the decision, which could be affirmative or negative, mm-hmm. there's a process to appeal to have another tribunal look at it, which is oftentimes shorter than the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, if a person does not receive a declaration of nullity, what does that mean? It means that um, from all of the information presented and from the question of why it would have been invalid that was proposed, was brought, that the church could not say for certain that it was invalid. Mm-hmm. Would there be other opportunities to inquire about other grounds or other reasons? Absolutely. Perhaps it was that a valid marriage, and because of human sin, or whatever the case may be, uh, that the couple is now about if they cannot live together, to live a chaste life separately, but that there's still some spiritual relationship there, and sometimes it takes even years to develop, to continue to pray for that other person, right. because they may share children, or however that may look. So these are just some important things, and this is why it's important to talk to a priest, um, you know, or, or be willing to, to call that tribunal. Sometimes the first step is the most difficult. Right. And I just want to say that for us at the Diocese of Winona, uh, we make every effort to make this as easy and understandable as we can for those who might be going through the process. Right, definitely. And that's all I have to say. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Glenn. Um, should we talk, just do that last question. Can divorced Catholics receive communion? Just to... 
And with a fiery one. No kidding. <laughs> Boy, you choose the, the big ones. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just as it's out there, you know, in the world. So, civil divorce in and of itself is not a sin. It can bring some scandal sometimes to the community because it's a breakup of a public declaration of a relationship. Right. But it's not a sin that would merit divorce. Um, not a sin that would merit not being able to receive divorce, but not merit receiving not receiving communion. In other right. words, people can receive communion right. if they get divorced. Yep. As long as they're living that chaste life and they're living within those vows until something else is determined and mm-hmm. they get remarried. So, if you're living a good Christian life while you're divorced, uh, by all means, yeah, the church invites you, urges you to continue receiving communion because right. it is a true grace. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Good. Um, awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> well, thank you so much, Glenn. That was super helpful and condensed. I think that's what our most of the worries that our, our, our listeners probably have. And so we want to thank you for your time um, and, and, uh, and your expertise in this area to talk about marriage prep, um, the annulment process, and the other fears that uh, our listeners might have. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks Thank for you for both of you for having me as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been fun. It's been, it's been fun, Father Glenn. It's been good. Well, thanks for listening to Practical Rambling Fathers. Until next time. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay holy, my friends. <laughs>